Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you all here today, worshiping the Lord together. New Year's Eve, December 31st, the last day of the year. Kind of chilly outside. We got some snowflakes coming, but there's no other place that I would rather be, and I'm sure there's no other place that we would rather be than being in the house of the Lord today. And I have uh, the privilege of bringing God's word to us this morning, and it's a passage that God has been speaking and meditating and convicting me of this morning. And I know and I believe that God is going to speak to each and every one of us today. The only question is, if, is, will we have ears to hear? Will you and I have ears to hear what God is wanting to say to us this morning? Not the person to your left or to your right, behind you, or in front of you, but you. Will you have ears to hear what, is God, what God is wanting to say to us this morning? Well, when I was in college, uh, I say the acting as if I was in college two years ago. I was in college five, six years ago, so pretty young. But when I was in college, uh, I was a part of a ministry called CREW, and it stands for Campus Crusade for Christ. And CREW does a bunch of retreats and conferences and seminars. They do a lot of different things. And one conference in particular is called NDCC, or it stands for Indy, Indianapolis CREW Conference. And I would go to this every single year my freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year of college. But I remember my junior year of college, I wasn't working at the time, so I was doing full-time schoolwork. And I remember my junior year of college, I wasn't able to afford this conference. And I wanted to go because all my friends were going, fellow classmates from DePaul and other universities would go to this end-of-the-year conference on December 28th to the 1st of January, worshiping the Lord together, being in fellowship with each other, and being on mission as they sent us out into the community. But my junior year of college, as I was not able to afford this trip, there was a guy on staff with crew named Kyle who said, Julian, I want to write a check for you so you can go to the conference. Let me pay for your registration fees. I didn't deserve that. I barely even knew the guy, but he decided to do that on my behalf, and that's something I was really grateful for. So I was able to go to the conference. Last year, me and my wife, in a similar story, me and my wife got married on August 19th of 2022. And my parents and her parents, as we're trying to figure out finances and logistics and all the planning that goes into having a wedding, we weren't able to afford our venue. And we weren't able to afford some of the catering and stuff like that, but we really wanted to go to this venue that we wanted to be at. And my parents and her parents wrote us a check so we could go to the wedding. They said, here, Julian, here, Paula, here's a check that you can go on our behalf. Go enjoy the wedding. We want you guys to be blessed and we want you guys to have a great day. And I think in similar ways, these two stories have some value, right? They have physical value of someone writing a check so we can experience something greatly. But church, this does not compare to what Jesus has done. Jesus didn't write a cash check. Jesus wrote a spiritual check so you and I could be free. God, the judge, the holy one, the righteous one, us sinners being dead in our trespasses, all of us were found guilty, but it's Jesus Christ who said, I will cash that check. I will go to the cross so I could pay for your sin, and I will be nailed on the cross. And this check that's written in my blood, if you receive this by faith, you can have life and you can have it in the full. Amen. And the physical check was of some value, but the spiritual check was of even greater value. And our main idea this morning is if you take away anything from today, our main idea is that Christ has cashed a check so you and I could be free. Christ has cashed a check so you and I could be free. 
And there's three takeaways with this this morning. There's going to be three implications, three points that we're going to be looking at in this passage. And this passage is probably familiar for a lot of us. It's a typical Good Friday passage, but I believe it's a passage that God is wanting to use this morning as he convicts us, encourages us, and leads us to Jesus Christ. So please turn your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 28. Whether you have a Bible or a device, it'll also be here on the screen. And as you do that, please stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 19, verse 28. And really quick, before we read these two verses, the reason why we stand for the, for the reading of God's word is not because it's a tradition or just because we feel like doing that, but we see this in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, where as the Israelites stood up, Ezra, I almost forgot, Ezra, the priest, the person who taught the word of God, who shepherded the word of God, he had everybody stand up. And this is simply to show a reverence, an act of respect to the word. So John chapter 19, verse 28, we see the apostle John, he writes, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Father, we thank you for being a God who speaks. You're not a God of confusion. You're not a God of what ifs or maybes. But God, I just ask by faith that you would speak to us this morning, God. I pray that all of us here would have ears to hear what you are wanting to say to us. And I pray that the meditations of my mind and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable before you, a holy, righteous, perfect God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may have a seat. Well, before we look at these three verses, I want to bring us into some context that's happening in this passage. In John 19, verses 27 to, uh, 17 to 27, there's three things that are happening. The first thing that's happening is that Jesus, our Messiah, is being crucified on the cross and he is being crucified under the authority of the governor at that time, Pontius Pilate. And Pilate writes, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And he does this in three languages. He did this in the Aramaic, Latin, and he did this in the Greek. And the reason why he did that is because he wanted to be 100% clear that this crucifixion was official to all people. There would be no question, there would be no confusion, but it would be so crystal clear. The second thing that we see in this context is some of the soldiers are ripping Christ's clothes and they're gambling to see who could, who could keep them. And the reason why this is going on, this might be kind of odd for us today, but the reason why they did that is because there was some value, some physical cash value that they could have as they took the garments, as they took the clothes, and as they sold them, they would get cash in return. And then finally, the last thing we see in this context is Jesus commissioning his mother Mary to be under the authority, the protection, the care of the Apostle John, who is our writer of this morning. He said, John, the one whom I loved, please take care of my mother Mary. On his final breaths, that's one of the last things that we see our Lord Jesus Christ to do. And then this brings us to our three verses this morning. Three amazing, simple verses, but there's so much richness. There's so much goodness in these verses. And there's three takeaways that I want to bring us into this morning. We're going to see the fulfillment of Christ. We'll see the love of Christ. And we'll also see the power of Christ. The fulfillment of Christ, the love of Christ, and the power of Christ. 
The first one being the fulfillment of Christ. In verses 28 and 29, Jesus is seen asking for a drink. And this was typical for criminals on a cross to do. And this was cheap wine, which is typically served to some of the soldiers. And Jesus was thirsty. He had a thirst to quench. But church, more than anything, he didn't want to just quench the thirst. Our Lord wanted to fulfill the scriptures. And he was referring to Psalm 69, verse 21, which says, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Everything that was prophesied about Jesus, he fulfilled, and he did it willingly, and he did it with joy. Imagine, someone wrote a book about you, a thousand-page book, before you were born. Everything that you were going to say, everything that you were going to do, everything that you would have to accomplish, and not just having to accomplish, and not just having to do, you had to do it to the dot. You had to do it perfectly. You had to do it without sin stuff that you didn't want to do and stuff that you did want to do. Could you do that? I know I couldn't do that. None of us could do that. But only Jesus Christ could do that. Jesus fulfilled all of the scriptures, and he did it willingly. He did it with obedience. And that's what Paul says in Philippians 2.8. He says, Christ being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, Jesus died so that we didn't have to die. Jesus died so that we could live and have it in abundance through him. He cashed the check for our sins in his blood, saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And then we move to John 19, 30. Probably out of all the verses in Scripture, this is my favorite verse in Scripture. It's so simple. But it's so weighty. And I would argue it's probably the most important three words in all of Scripture. Jesus' famous words, it is finished, are to mean it has been accomplished. It has been paid in full. These are so important of what Jesus is uttering right here. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Israelites, they needed to have a priest to sacrifice an animal so they could wash away the sins of the people. Not just for the people, but also for the priest. And so they would sacrifice animals day after day and day and after day. And we see this in Leviticus 5, 18, verse 19, where Moses says, In this way the priests will make atonement for them and the wrong they have committed unintentionally, and they will be forgiven. And all of this was a precursor. All of this was a foreshadowing to what Jesus Christ was going to do on our behalf. Jesus cashed the check so you and I could be free. He fulfilled the scriptures. He went to the cross to die for our sin. And he did this with joy. He did this as a spotless, obedient lamb, the God-man, being found blameless before the Lord. Whereas priests, they had sin, and they had to sacrifice animals for their sin. And my question to us this morning is, do you believe that Jesus fulfilled all the scriptures? Or do you find yourself maybe questioning and saying, I, I think he fulfilled the scriptures, but I don't think he had joy doing it. Or I don't think he was willing to do it as much as we think he did. Well, we know in Jeremiah 29, 13, that God says, if you seek me with all of your heart, there I will be, and I will show you the answers. I will give you clarity. And so if this is some questions that we have towards the Lord, God is saying, seek me, and I will give you the answers. We know then Hebrews 12, it was Jesus' joy to go to the cross to fulfill the scripture and to die on the cross on our behalf. Not only do we see the fulfillment of Scripture, but we also see the love of Christ that is so richly ingrained in this passage. 
Jonathan Edwards was a 1700s preacher, and he wrote this quote. He said, it was the will of Christ to suffer because it was Jesus' suffering that was the greatest expression of goodness and manifestation of kindness. It was his joy to accomplish the will of the Father. But we do know that Jesus had trouble going to the cross, right? We see, we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, don't let this cup pass, or let this cup pass for me. But then he says, not my will be done, your will be done. I will take that cup. It wasn't a physical cup. It wasn't a cup that Jesus was drinking. Physically, it was a metaphorical, symbolic cup. That cup was God's wrath, that Jesus said, I'll drink that cup. I'll drink that cup of God's wrath that is poured out on sinners. They don't have to do that. God, let me do that, and let me do that willingly. I will do that on their behalf. That is the love of Christ that we see in this passage. And there's two reasons why Jesus was compelled to go to the cross. The first one is to reconcile you and me, to reconcile sinners back to God. Relationship that was once perfect in the garden. With Adam and Eve, there is perfection. There is no sin. There is no sadness. There is happiness and joy. But as all of us know, sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve. And two people's disobedience led to everybody's disobedience, past, present, and future. And that relationship that was once perfect has now been broken. And Jesus came to reconcile and bring that relationship back together only through his payment on the cross and through his blood. And so when Jesus says, it is finished, he knew exactly what was going on. He knew that the work was done. He knew that he was going to be resurrected, for he actually foreshadowed that to his disciples in previous passages in the Gospels. And by ourselves, when we stand before the Lord, we stand condemned. We stand in judgment. We stand guilty. But when we stand in Christ, we stand forgiven. We have his imputed righteousness. We stand as sons and daughters of the high king. What a beautiful thing. In Isaiah 118, Isaiah says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they should become like wool. That's the truth, church. As we accept Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, not just when we've been justified, not just when you were seven years old in VBS, or 36 years old when you accepted Christ in your kitchen, but day after day, God is sanctifying us, and the good work that he started, he will bring to completion until the Lord comes back. And we know that it isn't about being a good person that sets us free, for no one's a good person. For God came down to set sinners free, those in bondage, those having spiritual eyes, having no heart, no, no beating heart, no pulse. He came so that we could have life through him. And for some of us here, if we're honest, we find our trust in finding our debt. Or we find our, you put your trust, we put our trust in finding our debt relief in our finances. Maybe it's student debt, and you're in college, or maybe you've been out of college for several years now, and just with a lot of interest rates and taking a loan out, you find yourself having a lot of financial debt. Or maybe it's medical debt, or maybe it's credit card debt, or mortgage debt, and you see this debt going above and above and stacking up and up and up, and you're hoping and you're praying, we're hoping, we're praying that it would get cleared. Maybe it's an email that I can type and say, please help me figure out this debt that I have. Maybe it's going to the financial class and saying, please help me figure out this debt that I have. All of this is good. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But church, when Jesus said it is finished, we don't have to play maybe. We don't have to play I think it might be done. It, it sort of is done. That's not what Jesus said. When Jesus said it is finished, he knew exactly what he was saying. He knew exactly what he was thinking. He said, come to me freely. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to do anything. Receive my gift of grace by faith. For Isaiah 55, verse 1 says, Come, everyone, everyone who thirsts, everyone who is thirsty, come, he who has no money, he who has no bread and wine to buy without milk, or come buy milk and without money and without price. Church, that's the good news of Jesus Christ right there. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, where Jesus says, It is finished. He says, You can receive me by faith, and I will give you life. I will quench your thirst. I will give you complete satisfaction in me. And I don't have the next verse on the, on the screen, but verse 2, Isaiah says, why do you go after things that don't satisfy you? Why do you go after bread that doesn't quench your hunger? And if we're honest, we do that too. We go after things that don't quench our thirst. We go after things that don't quench our hunger time and time again. But when we look at the good news of Jesus Christ, that is foreshadowed, that is in Isaiah 55, for every single verse in all of Scripture is about Jesus Christ. When we look at this beautiful verse, God is saying, be, not do. The world says do. Try harder. Do a better job. Be a better dad. Be a better father. Be a better spouse. Be a better friend. But none of us could do a better job. That'll only get us so far. But Jesus says, remain in me. And remain in me literally means to abide. Be in me. But not just Jesus reconciling us back to the Father for the forgiveness of our sins and establishing that relationship that we once had broken, but Jesus also defeated and disarmed Satan. In Colossians 2.15, we see the Apostle Paul, he says, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he disarmed the authorities. He disarmed the rulers of the past, present, and future. So there's nothing that can touch them. There's nothing that can pluck them out of Christ's hands. For he has defeated Satan. In the final moments of Jesus' breath on the cross, he defeated Satan. And if we're honest, some of us here probably doubt that. Julie and I, I believe that Jesus has defeated Satan, but what about all the cancer that's going on in the world? What about all the evil that's happening in the world? What about all the chaos and destruction and confusion and anxiety that's happening in our world? Isn't Satan still at work today? Doesn't he still tempt and cause destruction, evil in the world? Yes. And I really like how Pastor Tom sometimes will say the already but not yet. Already has Jesus defeated Satan. According to it is finished, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And the Apostle Paul quoted that in Colossians 2.15. Jesus defeated Satan. But not yet has Jesus thrown Satan in the lake of fire for eternity. And when he does that, we'll be in glory with Jesus Christ and all of his people. No more pain. No more sadness. No more confusion. No more heartache. I think about the passing of someone in our body. Their brother passed away last week. No more passing away. No more people dying. Being face to face with Jesus Christ and there's going to be no more son, church. There's going to be no need for a son because Jesus Christ 
will be our sun. He'll be beaming like a light when we're with him in glory. And it's similar in this sense. Imagine your favorite, uh, favorite sports team right now. So your football team, soccer team, baseball team, whatever sport it might be. And your team's up by 30, 30 points, 40 points, and you're going to the fourth quarter. There's a couple minutes left. Maybe you've got a couple friends next to you. You start to, you know, brag a little bit. You start to feel yourself a little bit, and you're saying, we're going to win. We have already won. But not yet. You haven't already won yet because it hasn't hit zero, zero. So that's the already, but not yet. Or another case, it's a school project or a work project that you've been assigned to. And your boss says, I need you to get it done by this time. And as you try to figure out all of the ins and outs and the assignments and having to figure it out, you finish it the day before. And you get super excited. Well, you have finished it. You have completed the project, but not yet have you turned it in. Not yet have you given that presentation. And I think in a lot of similar ways, it is, this is very similar to what Jesus has done on the cross when he said, it is finished, he has defeated Satan. He has already defeated Satan, but not yet has he thrown him into the lake of fire. And we see that in Revelation 20, verse 10. In Christ's death on the cross, it is finished, it has been accomplished. This is a battle cry. This is a mantra that Jesus is doing to us as he's taken his last breaths on the cross. Well, we see the fulfillment of Christ, we see the love of Christ, but church, we finally get to the power of Christ. It is the power of Christ. I want to bring us into some application here. The first thing in how Jesus' power affects us is in our personal life. His death on the cross gives us the power to work through our temptation. And we know in Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says, sin has no more dominion over you. Sin has no more authority over you. We're not slaves of sin anymore. We have eyes to see. We have a beating heart, and we could say no to sin, but not by our own strength, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit that dwells inside of us, can we say no to sin. And sin is very messy. Sin is very sticky. I think a lot of times we think about sin just being put to the side and saying, and justifying it and saying it's not that bad. At least I'm not doing this one sin that this other person is doing. At least I'm not like that one other person who did that. But I love the quote that Matt Gooby, he shared on stage last week for a Christmas service. He said, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more then you want to pay. Sin is so bad, church. Sin is so bad. I remember for myself, growing up at a great relationship with my younger brother, David. And growing up, we would do everything together. We'd play baseball together. We'd play video games together. We'd do everything. But I remember going to my middle school years when he was in elementary school, he was two years younger than me, there started to be some anger that I had towards him. And there was some verbal abuse and just a disheartened heart towards him and a disheartened heart towards my parents and just not saying, I don't want to be with you. I want to do my own thing. I want to live my own life. It wasn't until my junior year of high school where the Lord saved me and he gave me a heart to love my brother. He gave me a heart to love my parents. And it just wasn't like a light switch where I had a good relationship and a great relationship with my parents and my brother, but it took time. And today I still struggle with anger. Today I still struggle with the temptation to be angry at things that, I shouldn't be angry about. Because you know that being angry isn't necessarily wrong, for God is angry throughout Scripture. 
but it just depends on what we're angry about. And that sin has caused me to go deeper than from where I don't want to go and be and stay where I don't want to stay. It feels good, but it's fluid and it doesn't give us life. And my question to us this morning is, what about you? What sin do you continue to go back to? What sin do you struggle with and say, God, all these other temptations, all of these sins I have conquered by your blood, but that one sin, I've struggled with that my whole life. I don't think I have power over that. I don't think I can work through that. Well, church, when Jesus said it is finished, he does give us the power to do that. By his Holy Spirit, he gives us the power to say no to sin and say yes to the Spirit. For Christ has set us free to walk in the light. He is our advocate. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, when he gives the different beatitudes, he says, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Or in other words, blessed are the spiritually needy. Blessed are the spiritually ones who admit they don't have it all together. In our humility, in our time of asking for mercy, we are more prone to walk by the Spirit and depend on Christ's power to battle temptation. But we, when, we live in a lives, when we live lives of pride and arrogance and saying, I have it all together, I can do this, I can lead my family, I can care for my kids, I can love my wife, I can be a good student, I can be a good boss, I can be a good worker, that's where Satan wants us. Satan wants us to have that theology of I can do this on my own strength. But when Jesus says it is finished, when we looked at Isaiah 55, I don't know about you, church, but I didn't see anything that we needed to do. We just needed to receive that by grace. And thanks be to God for doing that because we couldn't do it by our own strength, but God did it so that we didn't have to. And he didn't just justify us when we became Christians. Again, he is sanctifying us and allowing us to abide in him, to say no to sin and, say, and to say yes to the Lord. And the second thing that we see in having power in our personal life through the death of Jesus Christ is in our trials. As we think about our family and our work and other areas of life, we can be encouraged to know that Jesus is in control of all things. And in, in him, all things are holding together. We know that this coming year, we're going to have a new president. Starting tomorrow, January 1st, 2024, we're going to have a new president. It might be one candidate, it might be a different candidate, it might be a different other candidate, but we're going to have a president. Well, Jesus is over that president, church. Jesus is over that president. And according to what we see in Colossians 2.15, and when Jesus says, it is finished, in him all things reign, past present, and future. And we can know that Jesus is holding us in his hand. Jesus is holding us in his safety. And let the power of Christ flood our hearts and minds, knowing that he is above any trial and any temptation that we face. With our fears, with our anxieties, with our confusions, whether it's in the school context or in your work context, Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me lead you. And the second thing we see in how the power of Christ affects our life is also in our missional life. I hope and I pray that us as a church going into the new year, that we would be a church that lives palms up and we echo the words of Isaiah 6. For Isaiah 6 says, send me, Lord. I want to be used. I want to be available. I may not know what to do. I may not have the credits and credentials but God, use me in whatever context it looks like. I want to be used by you. 
For God doesn't call the equipped, but God equips the called. In the age of anxiety, confusion, and pain, people are asking several questions about how to live. People are asking several questions, and they're not receiving answers, or they're receiving fluid answers or worldly answers. But church, we have the answer. We have the answer of all answers, that Christ has cast the check so we could be free, and we could share that with everybody else. The question is, is will we be available? Will you and I be used by the Lord this new year in 2024? Well, as we close this morning, I know I've asked a lot of different questions, but I want to end with one final question. One final question this morning is, how are you going to live your life in 2024? Are you going to look back and shame yourself for the shortcomings and the trials and the temptations of just being weighed down and getting beat up? Or are you going to walk by God's grace, pressing forward and meditating on the fulfillment of Christ, the love of Christ, and the power of Christ? When Jesus said, it is finished. It's the greatest words that Jesus has ever said. And I pray and hope that we would not live in a state of bondage, but in a state of freedom because of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. Again, Jesus doesn't say do. He says it's been done. Receive this by faith. Receive my grace. Receive my strength and my wisdom so I can sustain you and I can lead you. And we can take Christ's words to the bank that when he said it is finished, we can receive all of these without purchase, without money, without anything. We could receive this by faith and live the life that God has called us to live in 2024. That's my hope. That's my prayer for us today. Well, as we close, I want us to look at Jude 24 to verse 25. In Jude, verse, in Jude 24 to verse 25, it says, Now do him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and how you've lavished that upon us. God, we know that when Jesus says it is finished, everything has been accomplished, and we have life and we have it to the full. God, I just ask that you would help us be a body that walks by the power of the Spirit, depending on you, leaning into you and taking your grace each day as we look to you and how you want to use us in this new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.